Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. And the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image that is made of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced those from Jerusalem. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made very well and good, but if you don't worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar 
leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisor, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fiery furnace? They replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes, robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied my command and were willing to go up, putting their lives in jeopardy as they served and worshiped their God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we consider this incredible story, we pray, as always, for insight and understanding into who you are and into who we are and into the relationship you're calling us into with you, with each other, and with ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Michelle got us started on our fall sermon series where we are surveying the prophetic books of Daniel and uh, Revelation. It's a survey. We're not going to be able to go into detail of every aspect of uh, either of these books, but we wanted to give a little taste, you know, the Advent movement. For those of you who are new here today, this is a church of the Adventist tradition, and the Advent tradition has a, a long history in uh, the books of Daniel and Revelation, so we wanted to spend a little time over this summer or over this fall, I'm still wishing it was summer, uh, thinking and wrestling and talking about the incredible themes in these two prophetic books. So you can go to adventhope.org if you want to get caught up and find Michelle's message from last week. We're looking forward to having a good time together. We just read Daniel chapter 3, uh, but it's a little hard to understand the full implications of Daniel chapter 3 unless you know a little of the backstory, and we find that in Daniel chapter 2. And so in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, who's this incredible king and, uh, and warrior and is famous not only in the Bible, but outside of the Bible. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 tells us that he was presented with a very disturbing dream. It's a very familiar story. Certainly, if you've been around the Adventist tradition at all, you probably read the story of Daniel chapter 2 or heard it, and this incredible uh, image that uh, Nebuchadnezzar sees in this dream. And it was disturbing because as he finds out from the interpretation of the prophet Daniel, this image that he sees and is made up of these five different elements of the earth, this image represents kingdoms that are to exist in, on the earth. And this is disturbing to him because the head is made of gold and it represents his own kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon. 
And so, as you can imagine, this news didn't go over very well with him because the implications are pretty clear that although he was the head of gold, there's going to be another uh, kingdom that was going to eclipse his. And so he is not happy about this. Uh, as we read the story again in, in Daniel chapter 2, and well, what does someone who has incredible wealth and incredible hubris, if we're honest, do when their status is challenged? They build a statue. Humans have been building statues for thousands of years, and so his uh, solution to this problem was, I'm going to build a statue, and this is going to resemble exactly the statue of my dream, uh, but I am going to make the statue uh, completely of gold. Take that. Take that dream. We're going to build a statue. And so he built a statue, and then he invited all of his officials from around the, the, his, his empire to, to come. Invited is probably the wrong word. He, he commanded all of the uh, officials to come. So the satrap, satraps and the prefects and the, and the governors and all of them were to come before him and, uh, and be in for this dedication. Now, uh, the family and I, we like to go to visit a, a monumental statue here in New York. In fact, we went over the pandemic out to Liberty Island to see the Statue of Liberty. If you haven't had a chance to do that, and I know sometimes New Yorkers, we don't take advantage of the cool things that we have here in our own city. And so uh, we went out to the Statue of Liberty and walking around. It's quite a, it's incredible, right? So Daniel's statue, or, or the statue here in Daniel, it's about a third the size of the Statue of Liberty. So it's covered in, in, in gold, and all of government officials there to, are there to dedicate this uh, statue. And uh, then they are, in, they are, again, invited. <laughs> They're invited to worship the statue. Now, we don't, I don't know if that memo went out, hey, we're going to come. It sounds like the memo went out, like, we're going to dedicate this statue. I don't know if everybody knew what that meant, but dedication of the statue was going to involve bowing down and worshiping the statue. So again, I don't know if everybody knew that that was going to happen or what, but everybody is there, and uh, then the instructions are, are going to be given, or given that uh, when this incredible uh, music extravaganza, and we had a, an amazing, and do have an amazing music, musical extravaganza here today, but we didn't have a lyre, uh, and we didn't have the harp, so maybe, team, we want to integrate that into the the next service, but the idea, because we worship together, and we, we, I guess, the lyre and the, and the harp are part of that, at least in, in Nebuchadnezzar's mind. So when all these instruments that we're, are going to play, everybody is going to throw themselves on the ground, they're going to bow down, that probably meant some form of, like, prostration on the ground, and they're going to worship, thus symbolizing that they are all in on this empire, that they are all in on this emperor, that this is, this is the, it, and we are worshiping this, and we are all in. Now, from chapter 1 of, of Daniel, again, we're doing a little backstory here. From chapter 1 of Daniel, uh, we know, and again, I told you we're not going to be able to cover all of Daniel, so you're going to have to do a little homework. So you go home, you can read in more detail the books of Daniel and Revelation. But in Daniel chapter 1, we know that employed in the king's administration were at least four men from Jerusalem, four uh, Jewish men. Uh, who worshipped the God of the Ten Commandments. And there, of course, in the beginning of the Ten Commandments are, are, are strict uh, counsel about not worshipping any other God but the God of creation. And so in the midst of, of this uh, governing body, we have these four Jewish men who 
were committed to the God of creation and who were uh, profoundly aware of the Ten Commandments and the restriction against worshiping any other uh, God. By the way, should note that it was a brilliant strategy that Nebuchadnezzar initiated, again, recognized not only in the Bible, but outside of the Bible, where when he would conquer a new land or a new territory or a new kingdom, he would integrate uh, some of the intelligentsia and some of the cultural elites into his administration, right? So he would send them to school. Again, if you read Daniel chapter 1, you get the whole story of Daniel and these three guys, and they go to training, basically, and they're they are uh, indoctrinated into Babylonian culture, and they're taught about the language and everything else. And this was a strategy, good strategy, a smart strategy. You integrate the people, and then they're going to be able to govern the provinces from which they came, but still have allegiance to Babylon and the great king. And so this is what we see here. We've got these four guys, and they are invited as part of the administration to uh, come to the plain of Dura, and they are going to dedicate this statue. But again, of course, the problem is when uh, it's time to worship the statues, uh, they're not in on that because they, they have their allegiance to the God of creation, the God of the Ten Commandments. So, so they don't worship the statue, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar calls for them. We've got some uh, tattletales, the astrologers, and they're like, these guys are not doing what you said to do. And so they go and get uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And by the way, it was interesting in the text there, their names are repeated over and over. There's a, when, when you hear something repeated over and over and over again in the Bible, that's not just for fun. That is supposed to emphasize things. So the repetition of the worship music over and over again, the repetition of the name Shadrach, Meshach, and I mean, like why they keep, when they use pronouns or something, it's all part of the story. You want to emphasize these men emphasized the ritual that was involved in this worship gathering of music and so on. So the men don't stand. They're brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar gives them another shot. Now, I don't, we don't really know if he recognized them or not, but if you've read chapter 1, you know that these three guys, along with Daniel, had appeared in an interview with Nebuchadnezzar himself earlier, Right? So when, he, when they came and uh, they, were in, they were going into the school to become officials in Babylon, they had asked to, 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 to uh, go vegan, if you will, right? And there was some skepticism, but they did it, and they ended up being like a shining example, the best students of the class. And they came before Nebuchadnezzar, who was to, to, to test them, and uh, he tested them. So they had some experience together. So we don't know, we had no idea if Nebuchadnezzar remembered them or saw them, but the, the, uh, the text does say that after they refused again to bow down, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and this is a quote, his attitude toward them changed once they refused to worship the statue and they were promptly served their brutal death sentence. So whether he acknowledged who they were or not, we don't know, but didn't matter. His attitude was changed, and he was ready, no more chances. He was ready to throw them in the, this furnace, this hot furnace. So what do we take away from this story of co-workers? A bunch of things to take away from uh, the story. First of all, being faithful to God's instruction can have dire consequence uh, certainly in a world or culture they're unfamiliar with the God of the Ten Commandments and the God of the Bible. Uh, secondly, there are people of faith 
in this world who are willing and able to remain standing when everyone else bows their knee to other gods. And then finally, it's fairly evident that the author of the book of Daniel intended to make these men examples, again, men who their names are reiterated over and over again, these men examples of faith, and for good reason. I mean, they stood up to the most powerful man in the world at that, that time, and it was their conviction that, that did this. They were convicted about what they were standing up for. They stood up to him, and uh, they did not waver when they were questioned, even when they were given the second opportunity. Like, if you want to get out of this, that's all well and good. Literally, he said, all well and good, but if you're not, so think about this before you do this, but we're going to play the music, and you better bow. And they didn't either. They were like, you don't even need to play the music. Or we're not bowing. And so into the furnace they went. So great lessons. But, you know, if we're honest here, which I haven't hope we try to be honest and transparent people, if we're honest, uh, many of us, I don't want to speak for everybody, but many of us uh, at different periods in our, our lives and maybe even right now don't have the kind of boldness represented by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe, maybe there are moments in our life where like, we're super bold, you know, we're feeling good, and we got a good night's sleep, and we're like, take on the world. But uh, for most of us, we struggle with this kind of boldness and conviction. And so we worry that if we're put into a position where we're going to be called to you know, stand up for things, whether it's before an emperor or it's before our boss, or before it's, uh, whether it's before a family member or a significant loved one, that we will not be able to stand, that we don't have that boldness. We won't be able to adhere to the convictions that we may have. So maybe some of you here are innately and inherently bold, but for many of us, I know, for many of us, this is a little bit intimidating. These men who were able to stand up when their lives were on the line and were the, the, the furnace is over here burning, and you really don't want to die by fire. And they're going to go in, and they're able to stand up boldly. So that leaves us with our question today. What inhibits us from standing boldly for our convictions in the face of adversity? What is it that challenges us? If we can acknowledge that, you know, we're not always that bold about our convictions, even things that we hold very strongly to, Sometimes we shy away and we're wary and we want to go hide or we just go along with the flow. So what is it that is inhibiting us from having the boldness that we even want to have for ourselves? As always, a bunch of responses. I've prepared for you uh, three today. And the first one is super simple. And that is, you know, even the, the strongest of us are scared of someone or some situation. And so we're scared scared of people, we're scared of circumstances, and so, you know, again, a furnace, that is terrifying, the idea that you're going to get thrown into furnace, you know, you probably don't have anything quite that dramatic that you're scared of, but, you know, if you're going to go through uh, before your boss and there's some convictions that you have and your, your boss is going to call you, yeah, that's scary, or a family member or, or a friend, it, it can be intimidating that you're going to have to stand up for something that, that uh, God has convicted you on, and so we're scared. <laughs> and people are scary in this world, right? There's some scary people out there. Uh, there's some people who are kind of really scary, and then there are people because of their positions or what they can do to us or what they uh, can make us do. That is frightening. And so 
we're scared. It's as simple as that. Uh, secondly, we struggle with this issue of, of boldness and standing up for our convictions because, you know, again, sometimes we're just unclear or confused about the non-negotiable elements of our faith or of our convictions, all right? Um, you got to appreciate, I think, the confidence in the moral position that these three men took. They were very, very clear about the boundaries of their faith. Uh, with that said, they didn't get as far as they did in the administration of Nebuchadnezzar without making a lot of accommodations, okay? So they grew up in a, in a Jewish culture in Jerusalem, and then as young, young men, they were taken to this, this foreign power, and they were trained in the foreign power. And uh, they made a lot of accommodations. In fact, one very obvious one is that their names were changed. So they had Hebrew names, and they adopted new names that they received. And I'm sure that this is, the Bible doesn't get into all of the, the accommodations that they made, but there were a lot of accommodations that they had to, to make to fit into the community and the culture in which they were in, all right? So they made accommodations, all right? Their names, for heaven's sake, were changed. That's a big accommodation. They, they allowed that. They had a lot of accommodations, but they also knew things that were non-negotiable. And for them, the Ten Commandments, non-negotiable, right? We're not going to worship. We're not going to have another God before us, and we're not going to worship another God. That was a non-negotiable. Listen, in this world, some of us are confused about what's negotiable and what's non-negotiable when it comes to our convictions and when it comes to religious things. Sometimes we escalate things and make them essential that are not really essential, okay? There are cultural practices and, and whatever. This happens in church all the time. Adventists, again, if we're honest, every, every, every religious community has this issue. Every Christian community has this issue. Adventists, certainly, the Adventist tradition has, has this tradition, tradition as well, where we elevate some things and make them essential that God never intended to be essential, all right? Uh, but then sometimes we also devalue things that are essential, and so we have to admire these, these men. They knew what the, essential, uh, the essentials were, and they were like, listen, we've made a lot of accommodations. We, our names were changed, but we are not going to bow down to this statue because our Ten Commandments said, you don't do that. That's not how we respect our God, by worshiping other gods. So they knew the difference between the non-essentials and the essentials, and sometimes we aren't bold because we're a little unsure. Is this an essential or is this uh, not essential? And we, sometimes we make things essential that aren't, and sometimes we devalue things that are, and that can be incredibly confusing. So, you know, right now there are a lot of debates about, like, liberty of conscience and what's essential and what you should be able to stand up for, and it's like, you know, we got to think about this. Like, what is a biblical principle that you can abide by? And uh, what are things that are culturally, or maybe even just your preference? You know, a lot of things that are just our preference, but we're like, no, this is an essential. You got to be careful. And so sometimes we aren't bold because we're a little unsure of uh, what the essentials in this are and aren't. Finally, we don't have boldness for our convictions to stand up for things because we are disturbed by uncertainty, especially when uncertainty about God's action. Uh, this is Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to 
the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your, your majesty's hand. But even as, if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. See what happened there? Like, they were not uncertain about ultimate things. They said, like, we believe that God can rescue us from this situation. And we believe ultimately that God is going to rescue us in ultimate things, right? That's their conviction. But then the uncertainty. But you know, if he doesn't show up, we're still not going to worship your image. So they were not unafraid, unafraid of the uncertainty that God may not show up exactly how they want or when they want or, how, or, or, or where they want. They were okay with the, the uncertainty because they knew ultimately, ultimately things were going to be taken care of. But we struggle with uncertainty. I, I'll just confess, I struggle with uncertainty. Like I, I want to know what's happening, when's happening, where I'm going, when I'm going. My wife is here. She can uh, attest to this, I think. Don't look at her um, now because she will be nodding, um, and then I'll be embarrassed. But anyway, I don't do great with uncertainty. I want to know what's happening, when it's happening. So I struggle with this a little bit too, and I think I'm probably not alone. Like uncertain, especially when we're like, uh, is God going to take care of this thing? Is he going to show up the way I want? And we're like, I'm not sure. And some of us are experiencing like, a lot of uncertainty right now, and that can be very disconcerting, and that can like, just melt away any boldness that we may have. Uncertainty about where God will act, act and when he will be act can be incredibly, incredibly disconcerting. So, <laughs> with all of these realities and with all of our inadequacy when it comes to like being bold about our convictions, what hope do we have <laughs> of ever overcoming this, of ever really being people of, of faith? Right? God is inviting us to be people of faith, and he gives this example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as, as men of boldness and faith. What hope do we have with all of our inadequacies when it comes to this issue of, of boldness and faith? You know, you can make a pretty good argument that the first uh, half or so of Daniel, uh, that uh, the main protagonist of the story is not actually Daniel even though he shows up. And it's not these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but the main protagonist of the first part of, of Daniel is actually Nebuchadnezzar. And in chapter 3, he ends up being the protagonist and the antagonist, right? So he's playing kind of both, both parts. And so Nebuchadnezzar is, is also, I think, the most relatable figure in this story in chapter 3, because think about it now. He has this dream... And this dream tells him all the comfort and security that you've set up for yourself, blood, sweat, and tears of not only himself, but his family and his people, all that you poured into that, it's not going to actually help in the end. Your kingdom is going to be overthrown by another kingdom. All right? That's kind of disturbing. <laughs> I mean, you think about your, if someone came to you and said, like, you've built all this security for yourself, but... Uh, you know, it's actually, it's not actually that secure. And so that apartment you got on like the 
your three-year lease, like actually, you know, maybe that lease is going to be broken. What, how are you going to feel about that? You're going to be like, oh, no problem, right? Our, 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 our kind of inherent human nature is to like push back when our security is challenged. You all know what I'm talking about? Like if you, if you built some security for yourself and then you find like, oh, that's not as solid as I intended it to be, there's the, there's the, 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 the reality that you're going to push back on that. Wait, 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 I had a lease for three years and now it's falling short or whatever it is. So, so again, I think Nebuchadnezzar is relatable here. Like he's like, uh-uh, I have the means and the power. I'm going to build a statue and I'm going to paint it all gold and my kingdom is going to be a kingdom that lasts forever. He pushes back when his security is challenged. When made to feel uncomfortable in some way about the circumstances of our lives and our future, how many of us try to build security, how to secure things so that our future is uh, not in doubt? We erect structures or circumstances or systems that we feel are going to protect us and keep us safe. And so, I don't know what your statue <laughs> might be. Maybe it's a fantastic career. You're like, you know what? I am never going to be in a position where I'm not thriving and moving forward in my career. And so I'm going to build, and I'm going to work 80 hours a week, and I'm going to build the most incredible career uh, possible. And that will give me safety and security. Maybe your, your statue is like a fabulous family uh, or, or the idea of a fabulous family. You haven't found that yet, but you're looking for the right person and you're like, if I find the right person, <laughs> then I will have security and everything will be okay. And so you build the, the fantastic family and you have the kids and you have an incredible uh, uh, spouse and you're like, this is it. My security is in this. And that, that's your statue. I don't know what your statue is. Maybe that's your statue. Maybe your statue is your, your net worth. You're like, you know, if I just have a little bit more in bank and a little more uh, investment here and a little more investment there, then I will be safe and uh, secure. See, all, that, all of that is in the same vibe of Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, nope. I, got, I had a dream, and the dream was scary, and I'm going to fix things, and I'm going to establish a statue, and I'm going to really tell me to tell all of my subordinates that they got to come, and they're going to worship my statue. And as I look out over the crowd, and I see all my subordinates, and they're down on their, their knees worshiping, I'm going to feel good about myself. And say, I am secure, because look at all these people who I oversee, and they are all down on their knees, and they're worshiping my statue, and they're worshiping me, and that brings security. Uh, by the way, maybe for some of you, your, your security blanket is not that complex. Maybe it's just you want to have fun and joy in your experience, and if that is the case, you're going to feel secure in life. But let me tell you, I don't know what your statue is, what your security blanket, it, blanket is. It's never going to be sufficient to really make you feel secure. There's nothing that we can do to really secure our future on our own, to really give us the peace that we need to live in this tragic and challenging world. No statue is going to fix the, the challenge and the fear that all of us at some place have in our hearts. 
And so we build our kingdoms for ourselves and we in, intend to create safety and security. And it's here where Jesus shows up. As the story goes, Nebuchadnezzar was so disturbed. <laughs> now think of the, con he's, he's established this security for himself. I have a statue and it's all of gold. And everybody is going to bow down, but he hears the news that some people are now bowing down. That's a security threat to him. So he's bring them, and then he remembers, maybe, are the you guys? <laughs> you guys? Okay, I'm going to give you one last shot, and they don't, they don't go for it. And so the story says that he has the furnace. You're familiar with this if you've read the story. The furnace is heated seven times hotter. I don't know what that does. It seems like if you fall in a fire, whether it's two or five, you know, but I guess the hotter it is, quicker or more painful or whatever, but seven times hotter, so much so that the Delta Force soldiers that he has to go take them over, they die. So the, the, the guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are tied up, and the soldiers push them into the fire so they fall into the fire, however that works. And the soldiers, Delta Force, they die. They're the strongest soldiers in the army. They're out. They're gone. It's that intense. The executioners were killed. But then, in, in the most dramatic scene, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and you get the image of him like jumping up. It, said, wait, it says that, right? This is at verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw them into the fire? And they replied, <laughs> absolutely. Without question, there were three of them that went into the fire. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. He didn't know who was in the fight. He didn't know what was going on. All he knew is three went in there. He had to check. Was it three? Three. But there was a fourth among them. These men went in, but then there was a fourth among them. God showed up and confirmed their boldness, confirmed their faith that it wasn't hollow. It wasn't in a God who doesn't show up. God the God of the Bible is a God who shows up. But it's, it's, it's Nebuchadnezzar that the rest of the text in Daniel chapter 3 chooses to focus on, right? I mean, the guys went through this amazing experience. You want to hear like an interview for them. What were you thinking when you went into the fire? But the text really doesn't talk much more about, uh, about those guys, right? They're almost like background characters. They're supporting characters this the story because Nebuchadnezzar is the protagonist of this story. It says in Daniel uh, verse three, chapter 3, 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, which is a profound thing for him to say, right? Because up to, them, up to this point, he's referring to them as his officials. He called them in, and they serve at his pleasure, and then he tells, tells them to bow down. You better bow down. But now he says, servants of the Most High God. See, he, he's kind of getting it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. These, these men serve a higher power. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come, come here. Something he'd never said from this furnace before. He never had to tell anybody, come out of there. Come out of the, the furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. Isn't that a great scene? They come out of the fire, and everybody's like, what just happening? And they circle around them, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their body, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Sarah, the family, my, my family went camping for like one day, one night here recently. And it was, you know, you sleep outside. We did the whole thing. New Yorkers sleeping outside. Just imagine the hilarity of that. Um, but what I, I know, because I, I have here, here ready to take to the dry cleaner my sweater. I, didn't, I wasn't in the fire. I, I roasted a, a vegan mar marshmallow, which are not good at roasting. They don't melt properly. But that's a story for another day. I tried to roast the vegan marshmallow, and it just burst into flames, and that's it. But anyway, another story. I wasn't in the fire, but my clothing reeked. It still reeks. So I got to take it. I'm going to get it clean. It's all well and good. <laughs> the government officials, they surround them, and they're like, not a hair on their head is, is, is singed. And their clothes, they don't even smell of, of fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Historians think of Nebuchadnezzar as one of the great leaders of human history. I mean, all time, and powerful men. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had... Their, his God, their God, has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. This is, the king is like straight up like testifying now. Now, they trusted in him and defied my command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Now, this is a big moment. Here's this incredibly powerful king and He's having, a, he's having a moment. This wasn't the end for Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, of his faith journey, and he did go on a faith journey. In fact, if you read the rest of Daniel, which I suggest that you, you do, and we'll get to part of it, you see that he had some ups and downs in his faith journey that, from all accounts, looks like it led to his, his uh, salvation in the end. We keep reading, there's some ups and downs, but this was certainly a major step. While Nebuchadnezzar had been trying to build security for himself, by erecting a silly statue. The men of faith who went into the fire, they put their safety and security in the hands of the God of peace. And Jesus offers that same hand of peace to you and to me that he offered to them and ultimately offered even to great King Nebuchadnezzar. The Apostle Paul says it like this, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because of Jesus' atoning sacrifice, because of his resurrection, because of his ascension, because of his work that he does now in the holy sanctuary, and because of his imminent return, we can take heart. And we can have peace that we too have security in the God who loves us so much that he sent his one and only son on our behalf. The God who shows up. May this God who shows up for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God who showed up for Nebuchadnezzar, the God who showed up for Daniel, may he show up for you today and give you peace and security. Amen.